So James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone is among you cheerful, let him pray. That word suffering there means to endure evil or hardships. It means to go through trouble and, and, and trials. It means to be in, afflicted or to undergo a suffering or, or pain or heartache. I wonder if anybody here tonight can identify with that. Are you currently or have you ever been in a place where you were troubled or you were suffering? James says the answer to that is to pray. That word suffering, it's interesting. It it, it means suffering that comes from an outside or an external circumstance or an external source. It's it's something that's beyond your control and and, and you really can't influence it anyway. It's coming at you and you have no choice in the matter. I wonder if anyone's suffering tonight. James said if that's you, the answer is for you to pray. I wonder what would happen when we're suffering, when we're going through hardships and trials, instead of trying to fix them in our own way, instead of trying to strike back or or, or take vengeance on the person who's caused those troubles and hardship, instead of uh, tit for tat and, and getting back the way they got us or getting angry and striking out against them, I wonder what would happen if we truly were in a place where we said, I'm gonna do what James told me to do, and instead of fight back, instead of strike back, I'm going to just pray. I'm going to allow this thing to drive me to the Father, to drive me into his presence, because the Bible says that in his presence there is fullness of joy. That in his presence is everything that we need. I wonder if you really believe that. I wonder if if we really, see, we say we're believers. We say we're Christians. We say that God is the great I am, everything we have need of, he is. We say that, but I wonder if we truly believe it. Because if we believed that, we would be running to his presence. If we believed he was everything we needed, well, when, when Susie down the street or Sam at work is not everything we need and we finally realize it, I wonder if we really would be driven to the one who is. Or will we, will we just run to the next person who we think will be that for us? And James is saying, here is the solution. When you are suffering, when you're in pain, when somebody is doing you dirty, when you're suffering hardships or trials, the thing to do is to not whine and carry on and, and call your girlfriend or, 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 or your buddy at work. The, the answer is not to drink, to, to numb the pain or, or shoot up to escape the, the, the heartache. The answer is to pray, to turn to the one who has all the answers to turn to the one who is sovereign over all, to turn to the one who promises he's holding you and that nothing is happening in your life that has not been father filtered, that has not gotten through his hand to get to you. Because you see, if he's not big enough to hold you, he is not worthy of your worship. And James is saying, in those times of trials and heartache and suffering, pray. That word pray there is very interesting. It it means, it's a compound word and it means to or toward. And and the other other word, it means to wish or to desire. 
And what it's saying is there are several words for pray in, in the Greek, but this one in particular means that we need to direct our prayer specifically to God. And it suggests a nearness that we have to get near enough that we have to turn towards him away from the hardship, away from the trouble, away from the suffering, away from the pain, instead of looking at that. Because how many of you would agree with me that when you're suffering, when you're in trouble, when your life is hard, all you can do is look at your issues. Look at your trouble. Look at your spouse who's driving you up a wall. Look at your prodigal child who you feel is it, there isn't any hope. Look at your, your boss who's making your life miserable. All we can do is focus on those things. And he's saying, you need to direct your eyes back to me. You need to come near to me in prayer because I am your answer. I'm not just another solution. I am the answer. I love the woman with the issue of blood. The Bible says that she had been bleeding, she had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. And Jesus comes into town, and, and you know the story. She reaches out and she grabs a hold of his hem, and she says to herself, if I could just touch his garment, I know that I will be healed. But the Bible says that she had spent everything she had trying to get better. That she had gone from doctor to doctor. And the word of God says that, that she didn't grow better. She only grew worse. You see, she had tried everything else. And then she tried Jesus. And James is saying, how about we do it this way? How about you forget everything else and you just run to me? You run to the Father. You pray. You turn to him. You draw near to him for your answer. And then he says, is anyone among you cheerful? He's going to cover all the bases here. And that word cheerful means to be in good spirits, to make cheerful, to be joyful. J.B. Phillips says, is anyone among you flourishing? It's interesting. My mother died in 2009. And I'll never forget, uh, I was in the grocery store right after uh, I was with her when she died. And and I went to the grocery store to pick something up, and my heart was just so uh, filled with pain. And, and she was my best friend. I just loved her dearly. And, and I was so sad, and I, I was grieving so deeply. And I remember standing in line at the grocery store, and the person in front of me was laughing. And I was thinking, how could you be laughing? My mother just died. And it struck me that, that while I was grieving, they were rejoicing over something that a baby was being born at the same time my mom was dying, that somebody was celebrating something at the same time I was grieving. And that is life, is it not? And James is saying, no matter where you're at in this picture, here is the answer that you're looking for. Pray. He says, if anyone is among you that's cheerful, and, and that, that word cheerful is also a compound word. It means, to, it means well and soul. It's well with your soul. Is anyone here that, that you could say right now, I'm, it's well with my soul. I, I, I'm, pretty, I'm in a pretty good place, Rhea. That suffering, that hardship is really, I'm getting a break from that right now. And James says, well, that's, that's great. But you sing songs. You sing praise. I, I'm always struck with Kels when she's, when she's leading worship. I, I always grieve over people coming in at the last minute. And, and they, haven't, they haven't sat through worship. Because he so, he so deserves our praise. He so deserves it. And James is saying, if your life is good and it's peachy keen, honky-dory, can I just tell you what? You need to understand where that's coming from. That's coming from God. That's a blessing from God right now that, you're, that you are, that you are uh, 
getting in your life and you need to direct your praise back to him and, and recognize where it's coming from. It's interesting, this word for cheerful is only used two other places in the word of God. It's in Acts 27, I think 22 and 25, don't quote me on that, but it's in Acts 27 somewhere, where Paul, they're going to be shipwrecked, and and he has a a crew of men on the ship who are panicking, and he says, cheer up, we're going to be just fine. In other words, uh, one of the commentators I read said, really this word means peace of mind. That you can, you, can, you can be of good cheer even in the midst of heartache and pain. You, you, because you know that place where it's well with your soul, regardless of what's going on around your life, it can still be well with your soul. And James said if you're lucky enough to be in that place where, where you can have hardship and trial and it's still well with your soul, sing some praises to God because it's him that's carrying you through it. It's him that's doing it in you. And he deserves our praise. Doug Moo, one of my favorite commentators, says when our hearts are comforted, it's all too easy to forget that this contentment comes only from God. Only from God. One of my husband's favorite sayings is, life is hard, get a helmet. Life is made up of hardship and pain, of sorrow and joy of triumphs and troubles, and we never know what's around the next corner, but James is saying no matter what it is, here is your answer. Jesus is the answer. Like the woman with the issue of blood found out, he wasn't just another remedy. She had tried all those things. He was the answer, the solution to her problem, and I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus is not just another remedy. He is the answer. Trust me with this one. I checked every place else. If you could find what you needed in in anything other than Jesus, I would have found him. I checked everywhere. I've checked everywhere. And only Jesus can satisfy. And that's what James is saying. He is the answer. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? And and it's so interesting to me. How many of you have heard, uh, you know, this verse is, it, we, 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 we usually uh, quote this verse or use this verse when somebody is, is sick and, and really is ready to die. Do we not? Call the elders, they'll come and anoint you with oil. When things are hopeless, just call the elders, they'll come and anoint you with oil. It's a last resort. And what was interesting to me as I studied this, I want you to listen to the definition of sick. To be weak, feeble, to be without strength, to be powerless, to be sick, to be feeble in any sense, to be poor or weak in needs. How many of you here tonight would say you know what it's like to feel powerless in this situation? to feel weak in a situation, to feel like I can't take anymore. If anything else happens in my life, I don't even know what I'm going to do. That life is just really super hard for you right now, and you just are weak. You've just about had it. You're weary. You're weary and weary and weary, and it's just one thing after another. And I'm telling you, I believe that that's what this word means. I don't, I don't dispute that it means sick, an illness, 
I'm not saying it doesn't mean that I believe it does, but I believe it also means powerless and without strength. And I'm telling you, every day I meet people who are on their last, uh, last uh, the, on their last leg, where they're saying, "Bria, I can't endure one more day of this. My life stinks. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm full of despair." And can I tell you what? Let me pray for you because James says that, that you can call for the elders, those who are in uh, a, a, a strength. A, a spiritual strength, position of spiritual strength, those who have gone before you, the, those who are in leadership in your church, call them and have them pray for you and anoint you with oil. Now that anoint with oil, it can mean a number of things. You, you know, we've talked about this many times, that when we talk about the oil and anointing with oil, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you that when I pray for somebody, I, I will always say, in the name of Jesus. You will hear me say, in the name of Jesus, every single time. Because I, how many of you are familiar with the scripture, uh, one of the Ten Commandments that says, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And that word vain means to make it void of power. It doesn't mean a cuss word. I, I suppose it can. It's what I always grew up thinking it meant. But if you look it up in the original language, it means don't make that name void of power. And can I promise you that when I put my hands on you and I pray for you in the name of Jesus, I'm expecting something to change. Because I will not make that name void of power. I know that there is no other name. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. And that name has power. It has authority. It will change a life, I promise you. And so when I lay my hand on somebody and I pray for them in the name of Jesus, I am expecting, Kels, we are expecting something to change. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. And we are lucky enough that he says that he is giving us power and authority. He's giving us permission to use the name that will change everything. We get to use that name. The name that every demon in hell will shrink from. Why people, why people are afraid of, uh, of that realm, I have no idea. Do you know who you are? Do you know the authority that you get to carry? And so James is saying, is any, if any among you are weak, are powerless, are, are without strength, because we all get there, anybody besides me get there sometimes, and I need some people to lock arms with, I need some people to lock sh shields with and say, you know what, I'm having a really bad day right now, can, can you just pray for me? Can, can you pray? I don't want your fine sounding words. Can you pray some word of God in the name of Jesus and watch my life get strength, strengthened again? Because there is power in that. The other day, Leslie and I were someplace, and I was just down. I, I was down. And, and I started to cry in the car. And she reached over, and she put her hand on me. And she began to pray up a storm. And I'm telling you, I got out of the car, and that thing lifted off of me like it was nothing. Because you see what the Word of God says? That we are not battling against flesh and blood. See, we got to get this deep in our spirit. I know that you hear me say this all the time, but we have got to get it deep in our spirit. I'm going to say it till we get it, that we are not battling against flesh and blood. Your battle is not against the person uh, that's making your life miserable right now. Your battle is not against the, the, the dysfunction in your family. Your battle is not against that person down the street who's mean to you. 
Your battle is not against your sibling who you are constantly at odds with. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. And when you waste your time and energy fighting it there, you will not get anywhere. Your battle is against principalities and evil forces. And that's why the name of Jesus, when you anoint them in the name of Jesus, you're fighting that battle where it needs to be fought. If any of you are powerless, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling discouraged, if you are sick, call for the elders and let them pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Notice it says you need to call. There's a place where you recognize powerlessness and you recognize I can't do this on my own. I need to lock shields. I need somebody to help me through this. And it's in that place of need where you call the elders. I've heard people say, I'm leaving the church. I was going through this issue. They didn't notice it. They didn't, they didn't help me. Did you call them? Notice that James is putting that onus on us. You call them. And the Bible says that in the prayer of faith will save, deliver, rescue, make whole the sick and raise him up. That, that word raise up, it means to restore, to rebuild, uh, to awaken, to excite. Oh, I really like that because you see, well, when you're in that position where you feel powerless, where your life has just got you discouraged and weighed down, where you have no hope, where, where you are just weary, you're weary, You need something to excite you again. You need something to awaken you to truth again. You need something to stir inside of you and rebuild and restore what the enemy tried to steal from you. So James says, when you're in that place, call call for the elders. Call for somebody who's just a little bit further ahead than you. Call for somebody who really believes what they're praying and the prayer of faith. Lord, I believe you're who you say you are, and I believe you can do what you say you can do. The prayer of faith, the the person who believes that in the name of Jesus, things are really going to change, will save, deliver, rescue, make whole the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. He'll awaken him. He will rebuild. He will excite him. And if he has committed sins... They will be forgiven. You say, well, Rhea, that's an awkward sentence after we're talking about somebody who is hopeless and powerless and weary and sick. Why are we talking about sins? I'm going to go out on a, I'm going to step where I probably shouldn't step because not everyone will agree with me here, but I really don't care. I believe, obviously James does as well, that there's some sickness that's caused by sin. Now, I won't say every sickness. I, it's appointed to man to die once and then face judgment. Some sickness is just, it's just life. They're germs. But I do believe that there is some sickness that is caused by sin. I believe unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, Hatred is a poison inside of you. I believe it's a toxin 
inside of you. Self-hatred, I believe that your body will start attacking itself. If you are full of self-hatred, you hate yourself, I can promise you that that body is going to turn on you and it will start attacking you. We've got to deal with this stuff as a church. We can't keep dismissing it and saying, well, we're Christians. Everybody loves everybody. Everybody, you know, we give you grace right where you're at. I'll give you grace, but I'm just going to tell you what, if you are sick, If you're calling me and saying, I've got arthritis, I'm going to say, I'll pray for your arthritis, but we're going to talk about your anger right now. We're going to talk about your bitterness or your unforgiveness first. Now, if you don't have that, it'll be fine. But we're going to talk about it. So James says, and and, and when you call the elders and they pray for you and they anoint you with oil. Oh, I never finished the oil, did I? Somebody keep that thought where I just was and let me go back to visit the oil just one more second. So oil can be symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Oil also was used to consecrate or set apart a king. David was anointed with oil. Uh, And so some commentators believe that that the James reference to oil here is saying, I'm going to anoint you because I am setting you apart for God to work in your life, for God to do the miraculous in your life. I am setting you apart for the miracle working power in your life. Could be. Or uh, somebody else said that that the oil was just, you know, it was refreshing. When Jesus went into somebody's house, he said, you didn't wash my feet or anoint my head with oil. You didn't refresh me. And, and if we're talking about people who are powerless, people who are weary, the idea that oil would be refreshing, the idea that when we are hurting and we're, 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 we're feeling weak or, or weary and we call somebody to pray for us, I will tell you that my team, uh, I, I watch them pray for people and they refresh people just with their prayers. And, and you see, that's what James could be saying here. He could be saying, if you're weary, if you're on your last leg, if you feel like I can't do this anymore, you call an elder to come and pray for you and anoint you with oil to refresh you with their prayer. There is something about a woman or a man who is praying in faith, who believes what they're praying, that when they start praying for you, you start getting refreshed just because they are so firm in what they believe that you start believing them. You start believing that what they're praying is really going to work because they're so convinced themselves. So it could be that. Could be the Holy Spirit. Could be a a setting apart. Could be uh, just a refreshing, a restoring could be any of those things. I personally believe that it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Some commentators s- said it could be medicinal. It could be for somebody who, who's, who's sick. That, that, that in Bible times, you know this because of the story of the Good Samaritan, where, where he saw somebody who was beaten and, and had wounds, and he poured wine and oil into it. So it could be medicinal. Lots of, uh, of, of reasons, symbolism, for the Holy Spirit and the anointing of that oil. I personally believe that it is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Often we will have people come up for prayer. I will often anoint them with oil. I want them to understand this is nothing that we're doing, that we are simply copper pipes carrying the power, that we are conduits for God's power to work through. These hands are God's hands reaching. When I reach to pray, they are his hands reaching. I'm expecting power because I am just a copper pipe for his power to come through. That's what I believe. So James says, if you're in that position, call, have somebody pray, and the prayer of faith will make a difference in your life. But he says, 
If you've committed sins, they will be forgiven. Verse 16 says, confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I, I, I just want to park here and I, I want you to see that this, he's not changed his, his train of thought here. He, he's not now jumping to something else. It's all under that same uh, heading of prayer there, of suffering and of being afflicted and being powerless and weak. And, and so he's saying, confess your sins one to another. And that word confess, it means to say the same thing as. When we confess our sins, you see, people say you don't need to confess anymore. I don't believe that for one second. James here is saying, confess your sins one to another and you shall be healed, saved, set free, made whole. How does that work, Rhea? My husband uh, and, and Leslie and I do some work with people who have pornography addictions. My husband deals with men who are deep in pornography addictions. And, and when you're dealing with, with men who have pornography addictions, you think that it's a oh, big deal. I'm just looking at pornography. But what you don't understand is every time you view, you, you view pornography, your brain is being impacted. And, and you, are, you are putting new pathways in your brain. And, and that's why sexual sin, the Bible says you sin against yourself because it's affecting you. And so uh, what, what happens in these groups that we have is we're open. We, we confess our sins one to another. We get it out into the light. We take what's been hidden in the darkness because, see, that's what, that's what perpetuates the cycle of addiction is shame. If you only knew what I was doing, you wouldn't like me, so I can't tell you what I'm doing. I have to keep hiding it, but if I keep hiding it, I've got to perpetuate that cycle. has got to just keep, keep going because I have to numb the pain that I feel. I have to numb the feelings of worthlessness. I, I don't want to feel it, and so I keep that cycle going. But you see, when you interrupt that cycle with confession, let me tell you what I've done, and you realize that I can tell you the worst thing about me, and you'll still love me, you become safe, and I become free. So he says, confess your sin one to another, and you shall be saved, healed, set free. There is something about confession. There is something. People say, why do you share your testimony so openly? Because the Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And I will tell you that every time I tell my, my testimony, and I've got one that I'm not proud of, and every time I tell it, it loses power in my life because I overcome not only by the blood of the Lamb that cleansed me and set me free, I overcome because that thing that was hidden in the darkness is now exposed to the light, and I realize it does not have power anymore. And you see, there's something magical that happens when we start confessing and saying the same thing as God says about our sin. When we call it what it really is instead of what we'd like it to, to be, we, we kind of gloss it over a little bit to make it look a little better. But there's freedom when we start saying what God says about it. And we, we confess that to each other. This is who I am. Leslie knows every rotten thing about me. And she's still my best friend. There's freedom, there, there, there's an intimacy, there's a connection that can happen in that place when I don't have to put on a mask and be somebody I'm not to try to win her favor. My husband knows everything. Before I ever said I would marry him, before he ever put a ring on my finger, I said, I got some things I need to tell you, Dave. There's some things you need to know about me. 
And I remember sitting in that room like it was yesterday, and, and, and he, he wants to marry me. He's asked me to marry him, and, and I know that I have to tell him uh, everything about my past, and he's a pastor, and he looks really good, and he's got it all together, and, and here I am. <laughs> Lived in the muck and the mire. Not just the muck and the mire, the absolute pig pen, and really kind of liked it. And I remember him sitting in that chair and tears streaming down my cheeks saying, I can't marry you until you know this about me because I want to give you a chance to change your mind. And I remember I closed my eyes and I just began to just let it all spill out. I told him everything I had ever done. And I had my eyes closed because I was so afraid that when I opened them up, he was not going to be there anymore. Now, he's, he's a Brit. He's from England. They're, they're really, they keep it all together. They don't wear their feelings on their shoulders. And, and so you, you never know where Dave's at because he's really good about keeping those feelings covered. And, and so when I opened my eyes, I was shocked that he was still sitting there. But what shocked me more were the tears streaming down his cheeks. You see, there was freedom in knowing that this man could know everything about me and still want to marry me. He could know everything I had ever done and still want me. You see, that's what confession does. I don't have to keep everything under hat. I don't have to put on a mask to impress you anymore. This is who I am, and there is freedom there. Confess your sin one to another, and you shall be healed, set free, made whole. Now, that doesn't mean you go tell everybody. We have to be selective because not everybody is trustworthy. I, I, I heard a, a joke the other day. I don't even know if I should tell it, but I'm going to. There were three pastors, and they were studying this passage in James. And they were all preaching it at their churches, and they get together in a community meeting once a week with other pastors and, and just talk about what they're studying. And they were all preaching this passage, and they came to this place that said, confess your sin one to another. And, and they thought, you know, this really works. We believe God's word. It works. And we should probably be doing what God's word tells us to be doing. And, and, and we're all pastors, and, you know, we can trust each other. And it, it's a safe place for us to be really real. And so they, they, they make a decision that they're going to meet and they're going to they're going to confess their sins one to another and so they get together that day and and you know they're talking about why this is an important scripture and why they really need to follow God's commands and 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 so one of the pastors says well you know what I'll go first you're all my friends I'll I'll go first and he said you know I just I need to just make this confession I I really struggle with alcohol every once in a while and I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a struggle that I have, and, and I just want to confess that and get that off my chest. And the other pastor said, well, you know, I'll go next since you shared so openly. He said, I, I have to admit, sometimes I, I lust. I, left, I lust after women, and I'm not proud of it, but I, I lust after women. And, and I'm really glad I can get this off my chest and talk to, to men of integrity and share this with you and and, and they looked at the third guy, and they waited for him, and he said, well, I just want to tell you, I really struggle. My big struggle is, is with gossip, and, and I got to go because I got to make some phone calls. <laughs> but I read that joke, and I thought about this message and how we do need to confess our sins one to another. 
But we need to be careful who we're confessing them to, that they're trustworthy. But there's something about getting that darkness out of you. The thing that the enemy uses to try to shame you and to make you feel worthless and to keep you paralyzed. There is nothing that will make you more weary or make you feel more depressed or powerless than a secret that's, that's eating you alive inside. We met with a friend last week and he wanted to tell his wife something that, that he had done. And I watched him get that off his chest and bring it out of the darkness in the safety of my kitchen and say, I, I hate that I did this, but I have to share it and I want to get, I, want, I don't want this to be between us anymore. And it was eating him alive and it was destroying him. And I watched that thing come out of the darkness and into the light. And while it was hurtful for her to hear, I said to her, now healing can start. Because that secret is out of the darkness and in, into the light. It's been confessed. He agreed with God on what he did. He said the same thing as God. He called it what God called it. So he says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You see, there's something about calling, calling sin what God calls it, praying for one another, repenting of it, coming clean, getting right with God, and the prayer of a righteous man. Scripture talks about the prayer of a husband who's not treating his wife right, how, how his prayers hit the ceiling. It'll just hit the ceiling. They don't go anywhere because he's not walking in accordance with God's word. But the prayer of a righteous man, a man who's living right before God, is effective, it's powerful, and it's active, and it makes a difference in people's lives. So it's interesting to me that that comes after confessing your, your sins one to another. That sin, while we are saved by grace and not by works, and our sins are covered, and he's removed our sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more, there is something still about when we sin that it, it just produces a barrier between us and God. He hasn't gone anywhere. He loves us. But there's just something about harboring that inside of us that just kind of puts that barrier there. And confession and calling it the same thing as God calls it brings it down. Repentance brings that down and restores that relationship again. Then he goes on to say, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed earnestly. That word prayed earnestly means he prayed with prayers. It means that, that he prayed often and he prayed fervently. It, it, it's a picture of frequency and intensity. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Why does James insert that right there? It just seems like it doesn't really fit. What does Elijah have to do with sickness or powerlessness or being weary or suffering? It just seems out of place, except if you realize that Elijah was a man just like us. And he did this 
Prayer made this huge difference. It, it took a land that, that, that he, he said it will not rain, and it did not rain for three years and six months. And, and then he said it will rain, and, and, and he prayed for it to happen, and it happened, and it made a radical difference. But he was a man just like you and I. And he prayed in faith. You say, well, I don't know if he prayed in faith. Well, read the story. When he prayed for rain, he sent his servant to look for clouds and look for rain, and the servant would come back and say, I don't see anything. He'd say, go look again, because I believe what I'm praying. And the servant would go look, and he came back again, and he said, I don't see anything. And he said, go look again, because I am so sure about what I'm praying. I have such faith in the God I'm praying to that I know it's going to rain. And pretty soon, the, the servant comes back and he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Do you know how small that would be in the sky? But Elijah knew. He knew. And the Bible says that he took off a running because he knew that there was a sound of a mighty rain that was coming. That's how much faith he had in the God he was praying to. That it hadn't rained in three years and six months. And he knew that if he just asked God in faith, that something was going to change. Prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer offered in faith will make a sick man well. And then in verse 19, he says, brethren. Now, remember, he's talking to believers here, and he's saying, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Remember, this is coming off confessing your sin one to another. And if you see a brother among you, one of you, a believer, who wanders from the truth, you know what happens, don't you? Someone can be sold out, committed, laid down lover of Jesus one, one, one time, and the next have wandered from the truth, lost that passion, lost that desire inside of them. That word wander is where we get our word planet. I think it's so fascinating that, it, that it's where we get our English word planet. And you know how planets kind of stray. They don't stay stuck in the sky. They kind of move and they wander and they stray. And it's, that's why we get our word from, from this Greek word. It's fascinating to me. A brother who strays from the truth who's wandered has slowly just moved away from the truth and now they find themselves stuck in sin. And if you go and restore him, James says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, See, there's something about confessing when you can get all that stuff out where you can be honest with others about where you're at and where you're living and you know you're going to be met with love, acceptance, where you're not going to be judged unfairly and made to feel like you're nothing. I, I will tell you, you've heard me say this a million times, I would much sooner have a Bible study full of sinners, full of prostitutes and alcoholics and drug addicts. I would much sooner have a Bible study filled with those kind of people than filled with, with churchgoers. I honestly believe that, that my ministry, at least for me, <laughs> that's where I'm more effective. Because they have no trouble admitting their need. 
They have no trouble saying, I messed up, I, I need Jesus. They see their need for Jesus, but you see, when we've been churched, when we've been churched up and, and we've been taught to, to, to say all the right things, to, to pray up a storm and to put on our spiritual mask, I got it all together, I'm looking pretty good. You see, that's Moses. Moses was like that. He went to the mountain and he gets the Ten Commandments and he meets with God and the Bible says that he came down from the mountain and his face was glowing. He had met with God and people were like, whoa, look at his face. He's just been with God. Look at him. He's awesome. Look how powerful he is. Look how spiritual he is. Look, his face is glowing. And then the Bible says that his face began to fade. And what did he do? He put a veil on it. Because he didn't want the people to realize that the glory was fading. He got out of the presence of God and could not maintain the, the glory because he got outside the presence of God and so he put a veil over his face so the people wouldn't think he was less spiritual. That's what we're doing in the church today. We think we have to act like we have it all together and if I confess any sin to you, what are you going to think about me? You'll think I, the glory's fading and that I'm not as spiritual as I like to think I am. I hope Monday night is a place where we don't have any veils on, where we can say, you know what, I, I, I'm weary right now, I'm feeling powerless right now, I'm pretty messed up right now, I got an issue right now, and could you just pray for me? And that, that you know that you'd be met with acceptance, that you'd be met with, your, with arms wide open, that this is a safe place where we could be real and we can really watch the power of God work in a life and set people free. That is the cry of my heart. Because you see, I was once lost, but now I'm found. And I was blinder than anybody has ever been blind, but now I see. And I will spend the rest. People say, why are you so radical? That's why I'm so radical. Because I know what it's like to be in the muck and the mire. Ask Dave. I, I confessed it all to him. I know what it's like to be in the pig pen smelling like pig poop. Have you ever smelled pig poop? It is not good. But the prodigal, he didn't even realize he was eating pig slop. How did a Jewish boy get in a pig pen? They stay far away from him. How did a teenage girl get so messed up and stuck in a pig pen? But I know what it's like to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. I know what it's like to see the power of God work in somebody's life. I am a testimony of that. And I don't care who thinks I'm radical. I don't care who thinks I'm a big mouth, uh, way over the top Christian. I really don't care. Because you see, when you're lost, when you've been lost and, and when you're found, you will. The Bible says that she who's been forgiven much, loves much. Let me tell you what, been forgiven much. 